This is Talking Dirty, Get Gardening's podcast for plant lovers. The video version is available on our Get Gardening YouTube channel, so you can head over there if you want to see our ugly mugs, and there are pictures of the plants there as well. There are full plant lists on our Twitter and Instagram at Get Gardening Now, so go check those out. But without further ado, let's start Talking Dirty. And welcome to episode 44 of Talking Dirty. Over at East Ruston Old Vicarage in his blue and yellow checks, looking a little bit like a cowboy. Where's your cowboy hat, Alan? We've got Alan Edward Herbert Gray, our happy and very handsome horticulturalist. Unbeknownst to you, but I am sitting on a bucking bronco. Leave it there. <laughs> Over in Cambridgeshire, we have a smiley thought as Maria. <laughs> Sophia Fredrickson. It's very early for cracking jokes, you know. <laughs> I think it's the cold weather. It somehow feels even earlier than it actually is. But we are, I'm sure, going to be cracking jokes for the next hour or so because we're catching up with one of our favourites on the Talking Dirty podcast. It is such a long time since we talked to you, Ben Preston, head gardener at York Gate. I think the oh. last time it was actually snowing outside. Yeah. I think it was. Yeah, I was up in the, above the White Garden. It was uh, with heavy snow. Well, we've had some more crazy weather, as I'm sure you all have. Um, <laughs> We had a hail, we had a hailstorm last week that shredded plants. And um, when I was at the last kicks, it was actually pyramided up the fountain there. There was so much hail, um, and we were all com going completely bonkers. But anyway, our, our, the weather looks hopeful for the next few weeks. So fingers crossed. And can you tell us a little bit about the last kick? Because you mentioned the last kick, and I'm sure that. Um, lots of our uh, listeners and viewers will will know that the last kit was the the garden of uh, Sir Roy Strong. Yeah, so I'll, Julius. I want to talk about this today. So I'm I'm obviously head gardener at Yorkgate, but perennial have um, two other gardens, which is Fuller's Mill, which is not far from yourself in yep. Suffolk, um, which is Bernard Tickness Garden, and then we've just been um, given Sir Roy Strong's garden, which is the last kit, um, and it's obviously they're all spaced out across the country, um, and it's in Her it's just outside Hereford. Quite an amazing, and in fact, I was actually interviewing for um, the new head gardener there um, last week. Um, and I can't say any more than that. Um, we've got a new head gardener. Um, so it's basically gone from Sir Roy Strong's domestic, quite very, very elaborate domestic garden that obviously he opened for NGS and for groups. But it's um, the garden described as an idiosyncratic garden to sort of Sir Roy and his wife, Julia Travell and her man. It was a set designer, but they've taken lots of interest from Hidcutt, so there's lots of vistas and rooms and lots of gold leaf. And I mean, some of the most amazing vistas you'll ever see in a garden. But there's no infrastructure there as a garden to the public, really. So there's no cafe, there's no, there's not really a shop, there's, there's not a car park. And moving forward, as perennial gardens, we have a model that is moving towards New York, which is so that people can visit throughout the year. So, um, yeah, it's, it's really exciting that people can now visit Sir Roy Strong's garden. Really interesting. I mean, so Roy's written 46 books on various, various different things about art history. And obviously, he ran the National Portrait Gallery and then he was at the DNA. And so he's got a, you know, star-studded career. And, and he's a very, very interesting man. And I had a chance to spend time with him over the last couple of years. He came to York, yeah, and I went down to Alaska to, to spend some time with him. And, and, and he's, I mean, he's one of the most well-read men I've ever, ever met, I think. Um, he's got very strong views about everything and. Uh, yeah, he's, he's literally he's moved house and and he's he's left the garden and he, he's he, we're going to do with it as we see fit, which is obviously going to be in character. So yeah, so that's the last bit. So exciting! I mean, from a garden point of view, what caught your eye while you were 
very well probably not able to look at the garden too much when you were interviewing for head garden there but you know did anything leap out at you while you were there well I think this probably because I like, like plants but they, the bit that strikes me is there's, a, there's an area called a serpentine walk and the, one of the last features that you put into, put into the garden was called the Belvedere and it's this sort of tower that's in the middle of the garden and it goes up to about 20 feet and you get an aerial view of the garden so you can see all the different areas and the serpentine walk is basically it's a serpentine path that runs through certain part of the garden and there's lots of turquoise pieces there's holly there's yew there's beach and then there's mixed herbaceous plants underneath it so it's very there's a juxtaposition between the formal turquoise which is very very well tended by the lovely philip that, that still does all the turquoise there and then yeah mixed herbaceous underneath so it's it's really um that's my favorite bit of the garden so and um, but I, I very much encourage people to go and, go and visit and I, obviously i was doing the same lap of the garden on the on the interview and I, I i actually i left loving the garden more than when i started and um, you know I, I became immersed in the garden so definitely want to go and visit when, um, when, it, when the ball gets ready you can visit now group visits can be booked and um, have a look on the website it's always that wonderful thing with a garden that is full of great plants and has been really lovingly put together. I was up at Alan's garden at the weekend and barely made it any distance at all because I was just looking at every centimetre of the border. And so I, I ended up coming away with about 30 acres left unexplored at the end this weekend. <laughs> I saw your lovely jacket actually on a picture on, uh, on Instagram and a very smiley Alan. You both look like you were enjoying yourselves. Oh, we certainly were. You are surrounded by plants, Ben. Look at look at this. You've also gone for a very artful backdrop. If people are listening to the audio version, they're missing out on your kind of, I don't know, art gallery wall. This wonderful grey, which is a foil to the plants next to you. It's stiff key blue is the colour. <laughs> oh, fancy. Um, it's, it's very nice. I'm actually in the, um, I'm in one of the rooms in, we're shut today. I'm, I'm actually one of the new rooms of the cafe. You know, Ben, if you live in Norfolk, they don't call it stiff key. They call it Stooky. Stooky. <laughs> Not sure Stooky Blue sounds quite so Stooky sophisticated. I, you know, I loved it so much that when um, my father's a, a decorator, he came on my whole stairs and landings of this blue now as well. So. All right. <laughs> yeah, interestingly, I've, 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 well, I'll come to the plants in a second. I've, I went on a bit of a cultural journey this week as a gardener. and My trip down to um, Alaska... I went somewhere I'd never been before and it got me really thinking about the way that we visit gardens and how different gardens are. And I went to Stonehouse Cottage. Oh yeah. It completely blew me away. Um, Louise, of, uh, um, I went with a very good friend, Rosie, who, who we visit, we train together at Audley End and we go and visit gardens together. We meet up and she lives in Oxfordshire. So we met in the middle um, on Wednesday. And it, it, every time I go somewhere like that and I'm inspired by the gardens and the people, the plants there completely, utterly blew me away. I mean, I'm sure you've been out and you maybe even know yeah. Louisa. I do know Louisa and in actual fact, she's been the inspiration to me to, to buy lots of unusual plants that I've seen growing at Stonehouse Cottage, um, which I thought was phenomenal because it's not a particularly warm area, but she gets away with growing some things, some plants that are on the borderlines of hardiness. And... Um, it's just inspiring to see these plants growing. So in actual fact, funnily, you, you should mention that, Ben, because we were planning a trip. It's still in the planning stage. And one of the things was the lasket, to go and see the lasket. Um, and I said, well, it's got to go via Stonehouse Cottage because I haven't been for years. And I mean, I just need to go back there again. 
Great minds. I actually, um, I've become sort of friends with Clive Nichols over the last few years with him, visit, with him taking photos of the garden. Anywhere that I'm inspired by, I send him a message and say, have you, have you been here? And he'll say, oh, I've been there 30 years ago. And must go, must, must go again. And I always talk about Great Dixter and I talk about the different gardens that have influenced the way that I garden, but it was the woodland plants. And it's that, it, it felt like a mix between sort of Yorkshire and Dixter and this sort of, this sort of coming together really borders that take many, many years to, to mature. Um, lots of like, things like Uvalarias and Disporums and different Polygonatums, which I won't mention until the floor mark because there's some plants that last. <laughs> one thing that really struck me was um, the Smyrnium profoliatum that are naturalised in the meadow areas. Um, and the little Athenagalums, the Star of Bethlehem, is naturalised in, in the grass with Smyrnium profoliatum and then even and in cow parsley. Really, lots of little meadows. You know, some of them only they're not ten square meters, but some of them are a bit bigger. And right through the garden, there's all these little meadows with different naturalized wilder plantings. Really, really struck me. And lots of primula berries, um, and lots of you could see lots of dactylorizers and um, all them things that come with the meadows, the yellow rattle and vetches. And so we were on our hands and knees within two minutes of getting into the garden, crawling around looking at the ground cover. <laughs> And then, yeah, then areas where dicentras were mixing with um, self-seeded fritillaria acropetalum. Clearly things that take time, um, and that's something that I need to learn. Is I, mean, I remember you saying before, the patient on the one of the These borders that I'd like to build at Yorkgate, we're starting to get them planting layers in, um, but they need time to really bed in and look natural and be really in, in their place. So that's what I took away from that. Oh. That's quite an interesting thought, actually, because lots of those plants that you've just mentioned, Ben, they do need time to to become established and can take five, six, seven or eight years even to establish. And if we put them in into a border, it's our job to make sure that they don't get overgrown by other plants, that they actually have time to put their roots out and to prosper. And then we'll suddenly they'll come a day and we think, yeah, this is it. You know, it didn't look like that last year. This is it. Now we're getting somewhere. And I, I think, think that's interesting, yeah. Yeah, I think the other thing is that, I mean, I was looking around the garden the other day and we get into that stage where we have this sort of June gap. And there's, you know, just look at looking at plants that, you know, fill that kind of gap. And one of the almost wild, well, it is wild, really, I suppose, um, plants that does it for me is Mechanopsis cambrica, the little Welsh poppy. And we have that in yellow, orange and red singles and doubles. And they've got mixed all around the garden in various places. And I was just looking yesterday, thinking, God, look, there's a bunch of seedlings there. Don't waste those. Pop them up and, you know, we can sell them. We can put them elsewhere in the garden, all the rest of it. But, you know, it's, it takes time for plants like Mechanopsis cambrica, for um, Cyclamen heterifolium, Cyclamen cum, Crocus thomasinianus, for instance. It takes time for them to work up carpets and to put themselves where they want to be. Um, they all need a little help from us, especially the cyclamen. Um, but, you know, that's what we're aiming for, that kind of lovely established carpet look. Absolutely. I think it's, it's really, that's, that's my, where I'm at in my garden journey at the minute is, is that every single garden is so different. I mean, we're on sandy loam, but then there's pockets of clay. And, you know, we might put these different plants together, but they react so different. You could put three, I've actually got some combinations of plants um, here that are looking really good together in the garden rather than just individuals. Um, but, you know, things might take over more on, on my soil than Alan's soil. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's literally every single garden has got to be gardened differently. And, and that time that it takes and precision and, uh, and just standing back and looking and letting it be 
and then edit and then edit him. It's interesting about Mechanoptus Cambrica. Sybil, who created the garden here, loved the double orange. Yeah. So then they seed all over the garden here. So we actually go around and we weed out the yellows and the singles. Um, and we just leave the double oranges because that was sort of the thing that she loved the most. And it's become sort of a Yorkshire thing is that we leave a double orange making off this camera. So just them little tricks and treats. And I suppose it's what makes Yorkshire Yorkshire. Um, yeah, it is. It is, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Those little signatures. Yeah. That is a wonderful plant as well. I uh, must confess, there's a big clump of it at Allen's as you walk in. Anyone who hasn't been to East Truston Old Vicarage, just prepare yourself that before you've even got to the plant sales area, that first kind of corridor of plants as you walk down towards the plant sales area, that takes quite a long time to walk through. And, uh, and as you get to the end, there's this fab clump of that, that wonderful old Mechanopsis. And I must confess, I was sort of peering as like, any of them gone to seed? Damn, no. <laughs> well, well, you know, you, you've only got to ask. I'd have given you a shovel full of seedlings <laughs> if, you, if you wanted them. <laughs> Next time, I'll be back, like Arnold Schwarzenegger, don't worry. So, <laughs> so then, Ben, what have you got uh, around you? Because I can see some lovely zingy colours and combinations. I don't know where to start it. I've got a real mix today. Um, I've got a mix of good garden plants and something that quite unusual. I'm, I'm actually, I'm going to start with the tulip because I've just brought one tulip because I could talk about tulips all day. This is Tulip of Doll's Minuet, which is a viridiflora or viridescens, I can't remember which one the group's called. Um, but sort of, it's, it's actually, when it first comes out, it flushes green here, and then it gets pink as it comes out. But um, it's actually one that is quite perennial. Um, and actually, I first saw it when I was a trainee at the end, and my friend Rosie used it in a planting scheme. Um, and I've used it on mass in the main borders. And rather than doing lots of different colours like I do in other areas, um, I use this... Um, planted, I underplanted it with uh, Bristleria persica this year. That was actually a complete failure. Most of them came up blind, so didn't work. But this is a late one. It comes out in sort of early May, and it's still in full flower now. Um, and it's just one solid. And I, I, rather than lifting them, they stay in the perennial, and we just add 50 each year. And you get that difference in height. So they, um, they're not naturalised because it's, it's, it doesn't seed around, but they, they split from offsets um, and you get ones that are slightly shorter that use more energy and I quite like that sort of using an ornamental cultivar in a natural way so yeah that's my favorite tube for the moment oh, we love that one not throw that one out of the way <laughs> um, right and um, i love primulas primulas are great and some come into flower in the garden at the minute um, and i want to talk about succession of primulas as well and this is um i've cut a few stems this is uh pulviolenta um, which I'm, I'm sure Alan will grow. Um, it's, oh, I don't. You don't. It might be too dry where you are. Um, well, the, the, recently what we did during the winter, we, we in the middle of our rose garden, there's a square basin, a square pond, and we had a, a hedge on four corners of it. We ripped the hedge out because I suddenly said, I can't bear this anymore. It's not looking wonderful. Let's get rid of it. So two hours later, the hedge had gone. There's a gap. And I suddenly realised that this pond is leaking all the time and these four beds are actually very moist and so primulas are on my list. I've already got some primulas, but I don't have pulverilenta. And it actually exceeds and clumps up. Um, you know, you can divide it, you know, every two or three years. But it, the, the camera's not really showing off. It's quite an intense pink. Yeah. Um, and it's lovely. you can see the emerging buds. It goes right down the side of the pond. and We've spread it out and split it and divide it. So it runs sort of down the edge of the pond and down the edge of the stream. 
Um, you know, it's not a huge area, it's maybe like 15 meters, but um, that's one of my favorites. Um, and it's really easy to grow, it likes it. You know, they can handle quite quite full sun if they've got plenty of moisture under their feet. Yeah. But yeah. semi-shade, semi-shade, um, they'll do well as well. So, so interestingly, so that's probably the And I've got one that we're going to introduce. And this is Secundiflora, um, which is, you can, I'm going to put them together. It's a bit more dainty. Um, it's a very, very similar pink. And it's, again, it, it bulks up well. And rather than having, I'll leave that there for a second. Um, rather than having them all cross, I try, we try to plant different species that flower successionally so that we can deadhead them before the next lot comes into seed. So for instance, in one area under the tree ferns, we've got Primula japonica millers crimson, which is lovely. And that does its thing in mid-May to, to June. And then that dies down and we've got the Himalayan cowslip, Primula florindi. So that flowers after. So we make sure that we deadhead them so that they don't cross-pollinate and don't get the high-local hybrids when they start to get the pastelic colours. And then further through the garden, we have Primula Beziana, we've got Bulliana, and then we've got some really new marks, just introduced some um, Sebaldii types, and then some really ones I've never seen before, like Muscarioides and Bledifolia. It just the list goes on and on and on for, for, um, for Primulas, but this is this is one that I'd like to see naturalised in the garden. And um, I actually, I've grown some seed, but I bought some this weekend. Oh. The so yeah, so that's the next one, Primula Secundiflora. They look a very natural looking plant. That's a very kind plant. Yeah, and I'll go back again. It's not, you know, you can see this yeah. can be quite, um, it's Pretty not, bad. I would say it's brash, but it's, it's, it's quite a dominant candelabra type Primula, whereas the Secundiflora is, is um, it's delicate, but still got quite an intense colour. So yeah. yeah. Two faves at the minute. Right then. I'm going to go it's a little bit more, um, you'll know this one. Um, <laughs> this is, there's a reason why I'm bringing it out this time of year, and it is Salvia Lucantha. I won't get too into salvias because that one will save that for later in the year. Um, the leaves smell like blackcurrant, but the reason why I'm bringing it on today is because, like with many tender salvias, this is a Mexican bush sage. We cut them back um, and put, put them in the greenhouse, keep them frost free, or we take cuttings from them. But if you leave it uncut back in a frost free greenhouse, they actually start producing flowers this time of the year. So it starts flowering with the day lens, with shorter day lens, before the summer equinox. And it will continue to flower right through the summer. So I've got a billowing pot and it bits snap off it and it, it twines to other things. And it's absolutely magnificent. But if you cut it back, it will not flower till late September, early, early October. And that's one of the, the problems with Lucan. People say it's a great plant, but it doesn't flower till the end of the season. Well, actually, if you don't cut it back, it does. You just need a greenhouse. Same thing goes for Salvia confertiflora, which has the that's orange... Yeah, I mean, I, I was trying to use some two-year-old plants of that because they flower much earlier and they go again right the way through the summer. Mm. I was actually looking back. I've still, I've still got some cuttings from the first podcast that we did. They're on. They're, they're rooted and they're now in nine, so they will be on your on the way to you. <laughs> right then, I've got a bit of a pot full here. Right, so, so I'm going to take them out individually and I'm, and I'm going to talk about these a combination. Um, the first one I'm going to talk about is my favourite of the lot, which is Corydalis corns purple, which is this lovely purple. I mean, it is the most elegant, but it's not just the flower. The foliage is fantastic. And unlike a lot of Corydalis, where they go dormant for the summer, it keeps on producing this lovely ferny foliage. Um, bred by um, Peter Korn in Sweden, 
And I think one of the parents is Calicosa. I'm not sure of the other parent, but it's got these lovely purple flowers and amazing, really amazing foliage. And we use it in combination with a number of different things and, and it can handle part shade and it can actually handle that sun as well. But it tends, the more shade that you've got it in, the taller it tends to be, it tends to stretch a little bit, but it's, it's such a wonderful, wonderful plant. I mean, I love Corydalis, but this is probably ranked up there. That's certainly in the top three. But we've got it with, and this was actually, it was Mark, um, Mark Jackson, my nursery manager. He looks after the bit of the orchard. And we were looking at this combination the other day. It's um, Geranium Bill Wallace goes with it. Yeah. Um, that seeds around, and it's a similar purple. Um, and then we've got the White Honesty, um, Linaria Annua, and then the simplest of all, the Forget-Me-Not, the Blue. And... In my hand, it probably doesn't look particularly good, but they're all growing into each other, and the the bill growing into the forget me nots, and the linaria stands a bit taller, and the, the, the lovely foliage of the the corn's purple, and together in this amazing sort of ground cover around the bottom of the magnolia, it looks absolutely amazing. Um, and I was looking at, I'd go out and look at it every day at the minute, but I thought I'd go and collect a little bunch and bring it in today. But really good combination. It's just happened. Oh. Plants being bobbed in, and and that and that and that's evolved. So yeah, that's very special. It's the best thing when the garden just does its own magical combinations, whether it's self seeding or just how the plants combine. I think that's always my favourite thing. And one thing I've noticed on the recent podcasting is your gardening knowledge is um, is rocketing. <laughs> and um, I've heard you starting um, jumping in before Alan with answers. <laughs> it's fantastic. <laughs> I don't know about that, oh, but I mean, I said I walked around Alan's garden the other day and just one of the things that, you know, one of the reasons I wasn't getting very far is not only like trying to identify things and rack my brain to remember stuff, but then also there, I mean, talking of Corydalis, I, when I then found Alan to drag him over to try and find this Corydalis so we could identify it because, I mean, was it, was it Golden Panda in the end, Alan? Yes, it was Golden Panda. Which flowers to die for but then it is the foliage as well Ben that people I don't think they necessarily think Corydalis yeah amazing for its foliage and and Golden Panda had these fab little red um parts of the leaves as well and was kind of red veins coming up into the leaves into oh, the golden leaves yeah, yeah. I, I don't know that one I'll have to have a look yeah do yeah it's um, a good one we bought a few recently, in fact, I bought a few of the weekend. In fact, I was a bit naughty when I was at, um, well, not naughty, but at Stonehouse Cottage that I bought an Indigofra and it had a, I only bought it because it had a Corydalis that seeded in the pot. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, anyway, that's very, that's just me being the cheap Yorkshireman. Um, but I did buy, I did, I did buy lots of other plants there and I bought, um, I bought Corydalis Wildside Blue, which I think is one that's been selected from Wildside. At, okay, Keith Wiley. Yeah, and then we got a lovely one called Purple Bird recently, um, yeah. which has got a similar colour flower to this, but it's a solider type. Um, I did a talk. I did a talk uh, on Ipswich Showground, um, and Keith Wiley was one of the people doing the talking. And and the there's a very pompous man from the RHS introducing everybody, and he didn't know everybody. We have Mr. Keith Willie. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, Is that poor Keith. I just think he's the most amazing. I think, I think to be honest with you, I think he's the most talented gardener that we've got in the UK at the minute. I think he's just... His selection of plants is absolutely brilliant, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. It's, um, but that sounds quite funny with the RHS. <laughs> um, I'm just going to rewind to that. So there's all, we also have another planting of 
down in the dell with the uh, with the corn's purple, which it's got. Um, have you got? You got a hacketia? Oh yes, the, the the kind of greeny, acidy yellow flower. Yeah, hacketia epipactis. Well, I got given a um, which I've done. I'm not into variegation, but there's a lovely variegated one called Thor, and it, we've got Corridalis corn's purple and Paris quadrophylla um, and hacketia Thor, and they're all growing into each other. Um, and there was an Astelboides that swamped it out last year, so we've moved that over the way. <laughs> but there, there are all these, and the Paris is starting to run around. It's sort of like on, you know, it's sort of creek stone, stone, Paris. Um, they're, they're three very, very smart plants, Ben, that you just mentioned. And I think that, um, you know, gardeners, when they come around York Gate and they're going to see um, these plants, I'm going to just say something now. Please bring a notebook because you think you'll remember and you won't. Um, and you no, know, they exactly. can't bother of asking you or one of your fellow gardeners what these plants are, and they don't write it down, they'll never remember it. So you either use your phone to write it down or write it down the old fashioned way using a pencil and a piece of paper. I think that's interesting. I mean, when Chris, that was something Christopher Lloyd was very, um, yeah. very strict on, and, and, then, and then subsequently Fergus, is if, if you ain't got a bit of paper, I'm not going to tell you the name because exactly. you're going to go in one ear and out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> It's just reminded me of um, when I went to um, Stonehouse Cottage, when we went in and I looked on the website, it says, uh, no dogs and children on leads. <laughs> um, which I just thought was fantastic. I thought that's my sort of garden. Um, I love both children and dogs. And actually I've got friends' dogs that do visit after hours. And I've got friends' children that visit. Often, but there's just something very peaceful um, the tranquility of, of gardeners in the garden. Well, it's quite funny when we were wandering around East Ruston at the weekend, uh, Alan's obviously got these quite enthusiastic pups and it was, I was, it was giving me a bit of anxiety watching, I think it was Gigi who was preying on water boatmen on this little formal um, pond in the rose garden. Meanwhile, her tail was just scattering petals behind her <laughs> as it kind of wagged into the flower beds. And if, I mean, I thought at least it's a big garden. It's not bad in my garden. That would be, you know, a prize plant obliterated. <laughs> she did eventually go in, I have to say. Oh, she she got, yeah, she just got so she just pushed herself too far and then plop. <laughs> <laughs> Shall we have some more of your show and tell then, Ben? I've got a few, I've got a few more plants. Um, <laughs> you have? Right, so I actually, I've got this because it's getting split for the vision for the nursery. Um, and I want to talk, it's um, Calamagrossus overdown. It's got a, uh, it's a variegation again. So it's got a white, white midrib. And the reason why I wanted to bring this, um, I was actually lifting and dividing and, and I redesigned a bit of the white garden last week. And I, we, there's a big clump of Calamagrossus overdown in the middle. And I got a new uh, flocks that I haven't grown before called Mount Fuji, which is a white one, um, which is a, is, a, is a really good plant I got from the cottage. And then I've, I've run uh, Senolophium dendrodacin through it. So you get the ferny foliage and then the flocks. And, and then, then I put some self cedars, um, Ridgeron annua, and then some pulmonary at the front and Hesperus matronis alba. Real mixed planting, but the, the centre of it has got this, this calmness over down. And um, I said to Mark, gosh, we split some for the nursery. So I said, yeah. So this is going to be split this afternoon into nine centimetre pots. Um, but the reason why I wanted to bring it on is because a lot of these grasses, they're only just poking the heads through. And they look very good late season and they look very good in the winter with the sea heads. But look at this. It looks great already. Um, and it's looked great for a month. It, we, we, um, 
we actually wait until the new new foliages start to push through, and then you can take all last year's growth off. So you get very little downtime. It is a eleven months a year sort of a plant, and um, which I think is fantastic for a grass. A lot of the big miscanthus and things, you you cut them down, and in you might do it after Christmas or depending on how your garden is, and then it starts to grow again. But this this really. Just as it's starting to shoot, you can take down, you can literally snap off the old stems. And then I'm going to use Miscanthus cosmopolitan behind it, which is a similar leaf, but much more yeah, exactly. I want to give that same effect with the difference in height. But yeah, I just thought it was a fantastic garden. It's very, very garden worthy. If you're looking, if you've got a small garden and wanting one grass that's going to really do the thing, I think Calvin Grosses Overdam's top, top 10. Got a new phrase there, I think, which is a great selling plant. Selling point for a plant. It's an eleven-month plant. <laughs> There's not many that are. No. <laughs> and it's funny how I said your your Stooky Blue was quite a good foil for your plants. Yeah. That that plant has also been a great foil for all the ones that were in front of it, like your tulip earlier. It was making everything sing. Exactly that, and I think this is this is a foil for, because of that white in it as well. It just works with absolutely, probably works with a lot of things. Um, so yeah, so I think yeah, really, um, I've, I've learned to really love that plant. Over. It was here, it was here when I arrived. I've, I've not planted it. It was, um, it was one that was in the garden and fed the most of it. Yeah. Right, got a few more unusual bits now. And <laughs> um, um, next time I'm, I'm on it, I'm hopefully Jack, my senior gardener, might do an Aroid special. Um, because he's an aroid nut. And I know we've talked about um, uh, Morphophallus titum arum at, um, at Cambridge and things, um, but there's lots of smaller aroids, and some of them are hardy. And these, I've got a few Penelias. I've got three, I've got three different types of Penelias. This is um, Penelia cordata, um, and this is the purple form. I call it the miniature dragon, is the common name, which I just think is fantastic. And um, it's got a lovely purple Marcus Lee. Actually, it smells like bubblegum. <laughs> um, really cool. So it's and I've actually so I've brought the green. So it comes in two forms. So it's but they're both Penelia cordata. But this is the green form, just coming to flower, and this is the purple form. So these are a real great sort of little aroid ground cover for a shady area, um, and something that's really quite tropical looking. Yeah, lovely little little mouthful flower that smells of bubblegum and uh, a very cool leaf. So yeah, yeah, fair, it's fairly new to me is the world of aroids, but um, it's one that I very much enjoy. That is very exciting. Do you have that East Ruston? Because that feels no. like that feels like an East Ruston or Vicarage plant to me. It's on my wish list. It's going to be a flower. <laughs> you like that one? I've got your bigger one. <laughs> this is Penelia pedida sector, and this is the first arrow that I really started liking. And then um, it doesn't smell like bubblegum. And um, I'll have it. These really, these are Jack's babies. So, um, this one's called um, the called the Chinese Green Jack Dragon. I think the common name. Um, they've, got, they've all got colloquial in voodoo lilies and things, but you can see that these gets much bigger. This is this is this will definitely be hardy with you, Alan. It's, it's yeah. sort of just hardy with us. But the difference, if you if we talk about our semens, um, they push out one leaf. Yeah. Well, Penelias keep pushing leaves out like sorometums, and um, so they keep. You can see there's lots all coming from the base, so it yeah. continues to push out these lovely leaves, and it's really it's quite an amazing leaf. Um, and you get these lovely, the, the flowers will stop in a in a month or so's time. I love to use these in pot displays. And when Jack introduced me to them a few years ago, this is the first one I sort of fell in love with. So that's Penelia pedidosector. He grows all sorts of, all sorts of unusual aroids and um, dead horse arums and 
um, different amorphous phallus. You know, we talk about the big one, but there's lots of others that are very good. Conjac's a big one, but that's not going to outgrow your house. Um, <laughs> and then, yeah, so it's a, it's a bit of a... We do sort of little um, arrowhead pot displays around the garden, and, and that's very much what, what Jack has brought to York Game. Between us all, we have really varying um, knowledge, and Jack's probably got the weirdest plant set. We've got lots of the... There's always things arriving in the post. Um, <laughs> just constantly, every day, there's plant swaps, and he's friends with people at Edinburgh Botanics, so there's lots of swaps coming from there. And I think you mentioned stapelias on one of the other podcasts. We've got a collection of stapelias that have got the weirdest flowers. <laughs> He's got his cuttings from other places. And... I used to have one of those, which I, I used to terrify my aunt with. Only ever, I was only ever successful with it once because I told her how wonderful it was, the scent the scent was, you see. And she said, you horrible child, because it smells like <laughs> rotten meat. <laughs> well, it's a funny thing with a lot of these aroids. A lot of them do smell fairly awful, so they can attract flies, but... Yeah. Little Penelia. Bubble gum. <laughs> I do love how on this podcast we're building up an increasing picture of Alan as a child. And uh, I think I think he was quite a handful. <laughs> Dennis the Menace. <laughs> yeah. The, um, the, the, the Penelia Penelope sector, um, he's it, got two different scents. And um, one that smells of acetone, like nail varnish, and the and the other, which we've got, is like rotten bananas. Oh. Um, which is better than acetone, I suppose. Yeah. Um, very, very odd smell. Some of the um, some of the arrows that can be quite chemically and some of them, like you say, like rotten flesh. So. Oh. Yeah. How peculiar. So that is that is all my plants for today. Sorry, that's as many. That as was a lot of plants. That was particularly as we could only see the grass really in the tulip, and they just kept appearing. It's like magic. Yeah. From an amateur gardener perspective. One of the really interesting things to come up in the discussion today is that idea that whatever garden you've got and however experienced you are, it is so much about editing and noticing how plants interact, particularly the ones that might overwhelm the, the slightly less sort of rambunctious ones in front of them and, and moving things and changing things around rather than just thinking, well, that hasn't worked and I'm stuck with it. Obviously, you can always change it, which sounds like stating the bleeding obvious, but it is easy to sort of not realize how much you can shape it yeah and i think the big thing is the, thing, the comment I always get is, is say people come inside you've got such green fingers and you know i've got all these wonderful plants like like that you've never killed a plant in your life um, <laughs> i just say to people you just need to grow plants and kill plants and the more, you know the, the more you learn the more you kill um and, you know the amount of seedlings that i throw away that have rotted off or you know cuttings that have damped off, all different manner of things that have that happened to plants while they've died. Um, always going through the greenhouse every couple of months, chucking stuff away and stuff in the garden, not working. I think it's just about that constant, we, we sort of go towards that perfectionism, um, which you'll, we'll never attain. No, you're absolutely right. I think, I think, yeah, I mean, that's, that is the key, I think, you know, you do, we all kill plants. Um, you know, at times I've said to somebody, well, I'm afraid I lost that, you know, where's my so-and-so that I get? Well, I'm afraid I lost it. I didn't mean to, but you, know, <laughs> you kind of feel guilty. I have to say sometimes when, when a dear old lady has got her grandson to lug in the biggest money plant that you've ever seen, and you've, you know, the kind of plant you see in a doctor or dentist waiting room or even in a fish and chip shop. You know? <laughs> 
And she comes back a year later and she says, now where's my money plant? And I think, I can't tell her I let it die in the frost. I thought, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but you don't have room for everything. And I mean, you know, you just have to, I mean, it's like greenhouse space at the end of the year, we just have to let plants die. Um, yeah can't keep everything and I mean like your salvia leucanthera I was just thinking well I've got big plants in the greenhouses of salvia confertiflora for the same reason that you've got leucantha but you know you've limited space you can only have a few absolutely yeah I mean, you're, you're absolutely right I think um every year we you, I think you always keep your favorites don't you and your best yeah. you know, things that and then yeah. and then fluid you know we, there'll be some years that we might lose salvia and then we might like it again a few years later but I think obviously you've been I'm getting my uh, hand slapped to you. You've been gardening a lot longer than me. Yeah, um, I think so, I have. Um, <laughs> you've got a bit more experience than I have. But, um, in the, you know, in the, I don't know, 10, 12 years I've been gardening. And, you know, every year you're learning more and more. And I think it's interesting with our traineeship. When I did the traineeship, I did one year. Um, there were in one year traineeships for the heebie-jeebies. But I was really, really sure that a two-year traineeship here was is what I wanted to, to establish because... You know, you look at one season to the next. Last year we had amazing weather in April and May, and, and then we had a really late frost. And this year we've had a really cold April, lots of frost, and then we've had this really wet May. Every year, and I think having two years of seeing the different seasons, it gets you really in tune with with the garden. And I think if you're only there for a year, then it, it, it can be quite, you know, one experience can be very, very different to another. I think the other thing is that, you know, it's, it's talking with other gardeners, which, um, and you were just talking about your chap, you know, there's interest, a huge interest in aroids, for instance. Um, somebody else has got an interest in something else. And those, you know, you, which you probably wouldn't have had it not for him, him giving you pen, Penelia or something like that. Oh, absolutely. You know, but I mean, it, it's, it, it's all interwoven, isn't it, into the, the whole strategy and it's like I mean it's like reading Christopher Lloyd's books or Beth Chateau's books or <clears throat> whoever you know um but there's always something to learn if I was maintain if you get if, if you read a book and it sparks one good idea in your brain it's worth it I, I couldn't agree more I think yeah. you're absolutely right yeah um I um I'm really got this sense of garden and especially now we're like we're allowed and um, going and visiting gardens is I and mean, there's lots of gardeners that don't go and visit other gardens I love 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 going and visiting other gardens and getting other ideas and, and seeing how people respond to the space and, and I was actually I went to the Himalayan garden and it was right it's sort of hidden up in the in the, in the dales and um, this weekend and it's got a big rhododendron collection and I, I know I know next to nothing about rhododendrons and I went with a partner who's not a gardener I said look we're on, a, we're on an even playing field today I know nothing <laughs> rhododendrons are different colours I'll probably tell you a few of the species but this is a colourful garden I'm going to go and enjoy it and it was you know mechanopsis and things but it was very different you know it was it was a bigger space and interesting what we're saying earlier about dogs and children that was a garden that was much bigger that actually you could take your dog in and there was fairy doors on some of the trees. And it was a space where gardeners, dogs and children could all be happily play happily together. Yeah. Um, and it was a very different experience coming to Yorkgate or going to um, Stonegate Cottage. Um, and I think that that's what I think about when I go and visit gardens is that experience, that immersive experience. It's very different in every garden. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And it's interesting you say that about rhododendrons because I don't know anything about rhododendrons, but this year seemingly more than ever before my instagram just seems to be full of people taunting me with particularly beautiful sort of peachy orangey rhododendrons that i suddenly i never knew i could want so many rhododendrons 
Well, Ben just yeah. touched on something there when he mentioned a few of the species ones, because some of the some of the large flowered hybrids, well, I think all of the large flowered hybrids, to be quite honest, in a funny sort of way, they are rather over the top, whether they be diminutive, you know, bred to be small dwarf plants, or whether they're just allowed to grow 30, 40 feet tall. They look majestic then, but they, the, you know, their flowers are, shall we say, in your face. But some of the species ones, I mean, I'm thinking of one that I can't remember the name of. It has small leaves, cinnamon colored bark, and the lovely little dainty bell-shaped terracottery orange flowers. We had it, I've lost it, yeah. didn't mean to, <laughs> but, it, but it's gone. But I think if you go to a famous rhododendron grower, that grows some of these species, you'll fall in love with a whole new race of, of rhododendrons. I, I fully agree. I mean, we, we grow lutea in the garden, which also got yeah. a lovely yeah. scent and the, and the dainty yellow flowers, which is lovely. It's a, it's a lovely, lovely plant. Yeah. Well, that sells on not on sight, on smell. It always does. Yeah. You know, in our nursery, we have plants. Our grower grows plants for us, and I mean, they're there, and you know, the, the people walk past and say, "Where's that coming from?" Um, sells the plant. <laughs> Even though it's not an 11 month a year plant, Ben. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm still playing with it. I've had it in my hand for the whole talk and I'm still I'm stroking the grass. <laughs> uh, well, I've, I've got about 25 now new Flomos to add to my list, uh, thanks to this podcast and all the things we've talked about. But I started. I started out before we started talking about plants with, um, for my Flomo, that kind of plant I really, really want to get. Something that now the last two times I've been to Alan's garden and walked up this this walkway to get to the plant sales area and taken a long time to do it. Each time this gorgeous little shrubby thing has stopped me in its tracks, stopped me in my tracks with its little white pom pom flowers. And finally, I asked you what it was. And I should have asked you more and I should have got you to research it so that we knew exactly which one it is. But it's a fothergilla of some some description. Um, and I, I don't really know what it's going to do the rest of the year, though I had a little bit of a, a look on the Internet and it, it looked like it might have some interesting autumn colour. But certainly right now, walking into Alan's garden in a very demure, subtle, dainty kind of way, this Fothergilla, I just wanted to stop and look at it for ages. So that's now gone to the top of my wish list. And I suspect Alan is now looking up to try and figure out which one it is. <laughs> You know me so well, don't you? Um, I've just tried to look up on my phone. It says flight mode is engaged. Please try later. Oh. <laughs> Nothing I've been thrown under the bus, is there? <laughs> well, it is. Um, it's, it has cream coloured, like little brushes um, type flowers. I don't think it's anything special. It, was a, it is a father killer. Um, it's, it's a, I don't know. It's one of those plants that I wasn't drawn to. And I can't think where it came from, whether it was a gift from somebody or what. I mean, it's not the kind of thing I don't think that I would go and buy, but I'm very glad I've got it now I've got it. <laughs> and I think one of the plants, I mean, we touched on this a few minutes ago when Ben was talking, some of the gardens, they, you know, some of the plants that you use, they need time to become established. And I think this is one of them because it has to get to a, a half decent size before it looks respectable, shall we say. Um, and, uh, you know, I, d I don't know the, the variety, as I say, it does have quite interesting autumn colours, you're absolutely right. It kind of goes sort of um, yellows, which then turn to bronze, which then turn to a bright red. Mm. Um, much of that depends on the soil in which it's grown, of course. But um, and I think it's if I remember correctly, it's a so it's a plant that rather likes 
um, neutral to acid soil. We're neutral here, so we can grow those sort of plants. I mean, a plant that really wants absolutely acid soil, we can't do. Um, for instance, our hydrangeas don't go blue willingly. They, they'll go sort of purpley in moby colours, but they won't go blue because we're not quite acid enough. But we try and help that by putting pine needle mulches around plants um, in the woodland garden, um, as and when we remember. Um, but I do think that, I think there's a, I'd like to experiment with having a shady garden um, and hydrangeas in this garden in our, or in our soil, which I try and make more acid. I'd like to experiment by using a bluing agent on some of the hydrangeas to just see if I can tip that balance. I mean, I can't do it in a big area because we won't have time, but it's something I'm thinking about. And the other thing, because it's bus bucketfuls of rusty nails. <laughs> <laughs> That'll help turn this <laughs> I do love that the plant that I really want to grow is something that Alan doesn't even know how he got it and isn't all that fussed about. Well, I know I like it now I've got it. Um, <laughs> I don't think I wouldn't throw myself under a, under a bus to, to, to retrieve it if it was dying. Don't, don't get me wrong. <laughs> I like it. Right. Well, each to their own. Each to their own. <laughs> ben, what's your flow mode today then? Um, a couple of plants that I saw at Stonehouse Cottage. Um, I'm really, really interested in um, the plants that come in the polygonatums, uvularias, disporums, dysporopsis, that, that whole group of sort of arching woodlanders. Um, and there's a couple of dark ones, um, polygonatum betberg, um, which I've never, I've never grown. I've seen pictures of them. It's one that I, I will get for the garden. Um, and it's like, it's, it's polygonatum, um, so there's the standard Solomon seal, but it's got a, a dark purple leaf. Um, and it's got that lovely arching habit, but I'm quite drawn to the darker foliage, um, and I think it'd be a nice contrast to some of the polygonatums that we've got. Um, so yeah, uh, polygonatum betberg, and then one other, which is very, very similar, which is disporum uh, night heron, which um, I think it was Dan Hinckley that collected it, or it was grown in his garden over at Heronswood in America. Um, I think he's fantastic um, plantsman, Dan Hinckley. But yeah, so... Um, Disporum night heron and um, polygonate and betberg, very similar in terms of the habit and the, and the leaf, but um, obviously quite different plants. So yeah, they're my, they're my two for, for this week. That sounds yeah, I think that is a very interesting choice because it just, I think what it, what, I think what it illustrates for me is that your degree of sophistication, young man, because <laughs> I call you that because I'm older than you. <laughs> But it does because, um, you know, that polygonatum and dysporum, night heron and betberg, they're both plants that would stop people in their tracks. In an experienced garden, they would stop, stop them in their tracks. Um, and it's, I think it's fairly unusual for a young man who hasn't been gardening that many years to, to be um, that sophisticated, Ben. Well done. Uh, <laughs> Gold star. I'll pay you later. <laughs> yeah, uh, it is. Um, but let's put it this way they've gone on my list. <laughs> Which is a lot longer than when we started this podcast, Alan. What in particular is on your FLOMO list? Well, I don't know whether this will ever be possible, but I mean, we have this, we have a weird dianthus in the garden. Um, and it's, it, they, it was a whole group of these um, dianthus, like small carnations, doubles, um, grown in the Victorian period. And they were known as bizarre dianthus because they have bizarre coloured flowers. And what they actually have, they have a... <clears throat> They're genetically unstable, and so some of the flowers are, will be streaked. And the one I've got, the flowers are streaked purple and scarlet. I mean, it's the most bizarre combination. See what I mean? Bizarre. Bizarre <laughs> dianthus. Um, and these two colours are the, are the colours of, of 
Hong Kong, the national colours of Hong Kong. Um, but there was a whole group of them, and I've only got this one, which is called, um, it sounds very pomp pompous, Chumley Farron. <laughs> I think it's a lovely name. It should be a dog's name. Where, where are you, Chumley? <laughs> or the butler. Let's get the butler in. Chumley! <laughs> anyway, I would love to be able to find if, if there is anywhere on this planet any more bizarre dianthus um, with their streaked and striped colorings. I would love to locate them. But, you know, it's one of those plants you grow it because it fascinates you and you have a feeling inside yourself for it. It's an absolute beggar because it flops all over the place. It's untidy. If you grow it in a pot, and I've got a pot with about 20 flowering stems coming on it, I'm having to stake each individual stem. And you've got to keep going and staking until you get to just underneath where the flowers are to make it look anything at all. If you do that, it looks fabulous. If you don't do that, it just looks like <laughs> Like the dog has sat on it. <laughs> Which in it's your garden me, could have happened. Yeah. It's made me think, um, I can't believe I've not mentioned it already today because I was, I was fuming about it this morning. I went out last night and um, we've got this amazing little mechanopsis on the rockery. We've had lots of rain and he's brought out the slugs and they're masses. Yeah. And um, I just can't believe we've gone from complete wet to complete dry and then they must have just been waiting. Charlie's just been waiting like an army of leaf-eating leaf thieves. Marauding um, mollusks. Marauding mollusks. And anyway, we've got this lovely, lovely little uh, Mechanopsis herigula, um, which grows, I, I can't remember, how many thousand metres above sea level, something like 6,000 metres above sea level um, in the Himalayas. And um, it's a little Mechanopsis about that big. And there was a fully formed flower on there last, I was out there last night at nine o'clock looking at the thing, thinking I'm going to see that open tomorrow. And there was not, there was just a bud left. Ah. Um, and these tiny little, the rockery is covered with these tiny, tiny little slugs, little black slugs. They're, you can barely see them. Yeah. I went, through, I went through my seed trays yesterday looking and every slug I found was almost imperceptible. It was so small. And yet they've taken out all of my Nicotianas and most of my zinnias. We've got a big appetite, them little buggers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was, I was, I'll actually, I am... Um, Probably get told off by the RSPCA for this. And um, um, there was even the even the bearded iris. There was a bearded. There was there was a literally a big fat slug. I've got a picture of it. I'll, I'll send it in. Big slug sat on the bearded iris, just munching away at eight o'clock last night. So anyway, I slung it into the pond. Um, <laughs> I took it off and it went in the pond. So hopefully uh, one of the fish has eaten it. Um, but I'm in a war. I'm in a war against the slugs. But we don't use we don't use any um, we don't use any slug pellets. Um, yeah. You know we we were let. It, if I can get them by hand, then, then I will. But yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm going to stick to my principles. I'm going to be a good gardener. I'm not going to sprinkle slug pellets around, but um, I'm going to throw as many in the ponds as I can find. Uh, well, this has been so much fun. I, I feel a little bit like I'm drowning in all the plants that I now want to go and learn about and look up and grow. But it's uh, in a good way. As usual, Ben, you've done it again. You've tempted us um, <laughs> horribly. Um, <laughs> I'm going to have a... A hurt pocket, I think, because <laughs> I'm going to have to go and get some of these plants. Um, um, but the other, on the on the other side, I'm, I'm looking at it from the point of view that it's so nice to meet somebody that talks about plants that I don't know about, and it also ha helps me to improve the garden here. So it's a two way thing. Helps the pocket, but improves the garden. Well, thank you. Let's let's do this again. Let's not leave it too long next time because the the garden's changing every week. <laughs>
Absolutely. And you'll have to get Jack on with an Arroyd special, I think. Yes. Is it Jack Og? Jack Og. Jack Og is... Um, He's like a, a young Mike Clifford. He just doesn't have a tash. Similar <laughs> sort. He wears, he wears the shirts. He's, um, he's an incredible, incredible plantsman. Um, completely, um, yeah. He's our botanical wizard at the garden. So, and, then, and then there's Mark as well, who is another botanical wizard on the woodland side and salvage. So we've got a great team. And um, I'm, I'm, I'm keen not to um, be the star of the show all the time. Although <laughs> 90% of the time is all right. <laughs> Well, we'll see you again soon. Sorry, Alan, did you want to say something? Well, I was just going to say, for, for your interest, Father Giller Major, which is what it is, is known as the, the Mountain Witch Alder. I'm reading this from the RHS website, I have to say. <laughs> and it's actually, it's, it's, result, it's in the same family as Hamamelis. We got it's there. Because I was going to say, we, we have a Hamamelis, um, um, Father Giller, down in the Dell, which has actually got the Hecatia growing under it, the, the straight, the straight yep. speech factors. And it's got a very similar, the way we pruned it, it's got a very... Sort of open habit like a yeah. um, so I can I can see that it's in the same family. Yeah. 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 Well, I don't feel like it was such a bad choice, seeing as you both got it in your fantastic gardens. <laughs> there <we> go. <laughs> Can't be that bad. I, I'm, I'm looking at it. I'm just looking at pictures of it, and I think I want another one now. <laughs> <laughs> that good, huh? Well, have a lovely day, Ben. Thank you very much, and we'll catch up soon. Brilliant. Thank you. That's been very fun, as always. Happy Bye-bye. Hey, 4Ds here. Just to say thank you so much for listening to Talking Dirty. You are now officially our favourite person. If you really liked it, please do subscribe, because we'll be back for more plant-loving mayhem next week. And as you're our new favourite person, we don't want you to miss out. If you've got a question for Alan and the experts, you can email it to hello at getgardeningnow.co.uk. So happy gardening, and we'll see you, oh favourite person, next time.